Actually, all Scripture is a Mother's Day text because all Scripture is for all of God's people. Uh, just a complete aside, has nothing to do with anything. Um, I think this is the only glass uh, or jar or something with liquid in it in their entire building sitting on the floor. It was sitting right there. And my feet have an attraction to knock anything over with liquid in them. And I just did that. Just um, You just need to know that. that I don't know why. My mother knew I was a klutz. A couple of, uh, well, let's pray for our children. Allow them to leave and then we'll dive into our text. And I'll have a few announcements before we jump in. Uh, but let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you that you love us first, most, and best. Lord, on this Mother's Day, I thank you for my mom. I thank you that she diligently, continually pointed me to you. Thank you for her. I thank you today she's with you. And Father, I pray for the moms that are in this room, and um, I pray that you would uh, help them to also do the same for their children. And Father, I pray that we as a church would come around them in whatever way we can to encourage them and support them and, uh, and um, help them to, to train up their children in the ways of you. And so we ask these things um, of you. And now, Lord, as our kids go downstairs, the little ones, I pray that you would continue to instruct them there. And uh, may that work continue throughout the week. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So little ones, you're dismissed. And leaders who are going with, you can. A couple of announcements. Guys, uh, May 31st, it's the last Friday of the month. We're having our very first uh, men's gathering. And it's a, it's a great place just to come and hang out. I don't know all the details, but um, um, more will be coming out, Facebook, etc. But just mark that, mark 31st. And it's a Friday night. Uh, just block it off. It's just a time for the guys to get together. It's also an opportunity to invite um, other men that uh, you're praying for, that you know, that uh, needs a group of guys to, to relate with. Secondly, uh, Jay mentioned June the 2nd, a block party. We had been planning a block party, um, but also Calgary Community Reform Church came back to us and uh, said last year we were to had services together. And they were wondering, since they were still without a pastor, if they could join us for the summer. And um, I said yes on a couple of conditions. One is that we do a better job at intermingling. And I'm going to put that on us, not so much on them. And what I mean by that, I'm going to challenge you when we're together to actually take some time and walk across and say hello to someone you don't know and get to know them. Uh, let's be a blessing to them as they've been a blessing to us. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep badgering you about that but through the summer. And then the other condition was um, we, we want to serve them, and so we're going to try to give as leadership to almost everything that we do. So the greeting, all of that, um, they'll help on occasion. But the plan is for us to continue as is. And um, we need to grow in that, and um, they're actually okay if we allowing us to lead. So that's going to happen June the 2nd. So our services will move to 1030. So in light of that, we thought the block party, we just set up the tent, the, um, all, the, all the goodies outside, and right after the service. 
and it's a great time to invite people to the service, but also invite people from the community, etc., for that uh, Sunday, or even just for the block party after. So that's the plan for June the 2nd. And um, one last thing here today. Um, at our annual meeting or our family meeting in January, I talked about um, how our task force was in a transition. Our task force here at the church is an external leadership team. But for a church to be healthy, we need an internal leadership team. And so that's part of the process. So we're moving towards membership. We're also needing to move towards having an uh, internal elders or pastor team. And so in, in, in order to move in that direction, um, the task force asked Matt Walton, who's not here today, sick, and we need to pray for him. He's been sick for a bit here. And Jay Hildebrand, to step on as apprenticing pastors or apprenticing elders. And um, so for the over course of six months, they'll be part of the team. They'll, they'll be um, engaged in those, in those activities. And then as we're going along, it gives them an opportunity to go, okay, well, am I ready for this? Is this something God's calling me to? But it also gives the church family a time to speak into their life. And, um, and once we have membership in place, the church will affirm yes they are or no they're not and, and so we want to go through that process properly but if you've got questions about that feel free to talk to me also i challenge you pray for jay pray for matt uh, they have been doing the work of pastoring in a lot of ways uh, but pray that they would continue and that the, satan doesn't like this until he'll 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 fight that and attack that let's dive into our book habakkuk 2 I said somewhat facetiously, this is quite the Mother's Day text. But I, I think it has something for moms, and I think it has something for each and every one of us. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. I hate to wait for something. I was at A&W with my, um, my youngest son, who's here today surprised his mom a few minutes ago and I think it was A&W maybe it was McDonald's I can't remember and the guy couldn't get my order right and I was getting impatient and my son must have noticed that I was getting impatient and not acting in a very kind manner and he gave me a little kick with his leg which was a good thing I needed to be reminded that it's good to wait. It's good to be patient. And uh, I'm not always so. We're in a, we're in a culture. We, we want things now. We want, we, want, um, we want our internet speed to hit. We want our web pages to open up instantly. And if not, we've, something's wrong. Like everything has got to be fast. But our scripture today speaks of waiting. On Wednesday... I think it was Wednesday morning. I was on Fifth Avenue North here in the city of Calgary. I was heading towards Crowchild, so I was heading west on Fifth Avenue. And on your left-hand side is Kensington Clinic. And, and it just struck me, because we had been reading through Habakkuk, and, and it just struck me the violence that happens in that clinic where unborn children are being taken every day. And there was a bunch of, there was a bunch of vehicles out front. 
And we don't know how many numbers they take every, every day, every week, every month, every year, because they, they don't have to give that information. But um, I was, I, I don't know, it just kind of hit me. I was saddened by that place. And then I, I read, I, I, there's a number of apps I read to keep up on the news, and one of them is a, the Calgary Sun. And I went to the Calgary Sun that morning, and the, the three, I think the three top headlines actually took pictures of them. We're about deaths in our city. Just senseless. Calgary man named Nathan Gervis smirked, laughed, and gave his victim's fathers a thumbs up as a city judge on Wednesday found him guilty of first-degree murder. That's here in our city. The UK man charged with the second-degree murders of a Calgary mother and her 22-month-old daughter will never be free Never be a free man on Canadian soil found guilty of the crimes. Robert Leeming, 34, was officially charged with the murders of Jasmine Lovett, 25, and her young daughter, Aaliyah. I mean, we, we read these things, but do, do, they, do they break our hearts? The third story, the family of the Calgary man found dead after disappearing for more than a year say they, they have been going through the year through pure torture since learning their brother and son was killed. The remains of Jeremy were found near Wipers in October. And the police are releasing more details about the investigation into the homicide. Habakkuk talks about his nation being a nation filled with violence. And so he's crying out to God and saying, God, how long? How long will you allow this to continue? And why do you allow this to continue? And then God said in chapter 1, as we said last week, God says, actually, I'm doing a work. I am doing something. And what is he doing? He's raising up the Chaldeans. He's raising up the Babylonians. And then he describes the Babylonians. And it seems like Habakkuk knows about them because then he describes them. And he goes, how can you take someone who's more violent to punish those who are not as violent? And in a sense, Habakkuk complains. There's, there's a lament. There's a, he's crying out to God for an answer. And, 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 you know, and I, maybe we're better than the nation of the Babylonians, but if I look at the news and if I watch what's going on in our world, right here in Calgary, we are a violent people. We're not better then. And some of the other things that, that Habakkuk cries out about, injustice and wrongs and contention and division these are things that fill our great city just as much as they did in that great city and we cry out we ought to cry out how long lord how long will this continue how long i know some of your personal stories there's also injustices in, in, in the stories you tell me. The things people have done to you. And, and I'm sure some of you in this room are crying, Lord, how long? Why? Why? 
God's answer comes to us in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. We have Habakkuk. He, he, he just simply says, here's my question, chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post, and I will station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me. I think it's a posture of faith that Habakkuk has here. He's saying, I'm going to be like a watchman and I'm going to be eager and I'm going to be anticipating an answer. And I'm going to be diligent to look for an answer. Just like a sentry does when he's looking out watching to protect the city. And then in chapter 2, verse 2, God gives him an answer. What I want us to see this morning, I want us to, we're going to walk through every verse this morning, but as we walk through every verse, we're going to take a pause and we're going to pick up a couple of golden nuggets or a couple of gems, actually three of them. And we're going to slow down at those three verses. So verse 4, verse 14, and verse 20, we're going to slow down and we're going to take a look at those nuggets a little more close. And if you walk out of here with those three nuggets, I think you'll have some hope on this Mother's Day. But let's begin. Verse 2, God speaks, and the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so, he, so that he may run who reads it. What we have in front of us in Habakkuk chapter 2 is, is not human thought. It's God's revelation. God is speaking. And what God says we need to listen to, and what God says will bring hope. Write the vision down. He says, I want you to put it, and I want you to put it on tablets. It's interesting because tablets are what, what the um, Moses used back on Mount Sinai to put the Ten Commandments. And I think the author is trying to tell us, or God is trying to say, what I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to show you, this vision is, is of similar significance of what God did on Mount Sinai when he gave the Ten Commandments. So listen up. He goes beyond that. Not only are we supposed to write the vision on plain, on plain on tablets, but so that he may run who reads it, basically so that the, the ones who receive it can take it and proclaim it all over the place. You see, when we receive God's revelation, it's not meant just for us to hang on to. It's meant for us to share. Verse 3. God says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It seems slow. Wait for it. You see God saying, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And it was like, hold it. It's gonna, is it slow or is it going to be quick? What's going on in this verse? Well, what we do know is that the answer that Habakkuk is given will come to pass some 60 years later. Did you hear that? 60 years later. If, if Habakkuk gets this message about 600 B.C., in 539 B.C., some 61 years after that, the Babylonians will be destroyed. And everything that we're going to read is about the destruction of Babylon in the rest of this chapter. 
And so basically God says to him, it's going to take some 60 years, wait. This seems like a long time, but in God's calendar, in God's way, that's, that's, that's actually not that long. And, and in the balance of eternity, that's not that long. And when God says something, he's going to do it, he will do it, and it's going to be certain. And, and so wait for it. Wait for it. And then I want you to notice in verse 3, notice the word appointed time. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. Every word counts in Scripture. In, in, in the book of Daniel, Daniel was a, um, a contemporary of Habakkuk. He was one of those who were carried off by the, the Babylonians in 597 B.C. And he rose to a place of prominence while he was in Babylon. And, and, and Daniel writes in three different locations as God's talking to him about an appointed time and, and Daniel's talking about the coming of the Messiah. Now here, the appointed time is the end of the Babylonians in 539 B.C. But what it tells us is that God has a plan. God has a purpose. And it may seem as we read the news, everything is meaningless and everything is purposeless, but God is on a, he's, 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 he's in charge, he's in control, he's, he has a plan. I don't know about you, but that's helpful for me. I can look at history and see what God has predicted and it has come to, come to pass, but I can look at our world today and go, God is in charge, God is in control. And although it doesn't look good, God will do what he said he would do at his appointed time. Now Habakkuk didn't know what that appointed time was. All God simply says is wait for it. Wait for it. As I read this, I think of Abraham. You probably know the story. Abraham is given a promise and he says, God said to Abraham, uh, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Your offspring will be like the sand of the seashore. Those were very specific promises to Abraham. The problem was Abraham, got, Abraham and Sarah got to a point in life where they were beyond childbearing years. And God had made that promise. And Abraham begins to wonder, how is this going to work? And he actually tries to help the Lord. But when God makes a promise, it will come to pass. He does not lie. And that's what the writer of Habakkuk is, what God is saying to Habakkuk as well. I, I, this is what's going to happen. It's a point, there's an appointed time. It will not lie. And then we move to verse 4, and I think there's the nugget. That I want to pause on. It's a, a passage that we're going to find in the New Testament three times, quoted three times, so it's an important passage. All of Scripture is important, but I just want to pause there for a moment. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. What is God telling Habakkuk there? Behold, his soul. Whose soul? The soul of Babylon. Babylon was arrogant, puffed up. We, you might remember from the last week, um, 
chapter 1, we're told in verse, verse 11, guilty man whose own might is their God. These were arrogant people. They, 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 they looked at the, their, their strength, their, their military might, and literally thought no one could defeat them. They mocked the kings around. They mocked the fortifications that kings had. Uh, they actually worshipped their, their weapons, and they worshipped their might. The Babylonians were puffed up. They were arrogant. They were proud. I think that's a good picture of our culture. I think that's a good picture of oftentimes Elroy. As I struggle and the text very clearly says his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. He's not right. He's not right with God. He's but the righteous shall live by his faith. Well, what's he talking about here? It almost seems like he's putting those as opposite. The proud and the one who lives by faith. The unrighteous and the righteous. And he sets those as opposites. The Apostle Paul will quote this last part of verse 4. In Romans 1.17 and in Galatians 3.11. We won't turn there today, but you might recall that when Paul uses this verse, he's, he's arguing that that right standing with God comes not by what we do, but by our faith in God, our trust in God. And then as we went through the book of Hebrews, you might recall Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, the author of Hebrews uses the same verse. And he uses it slightly different. In, in his context, he's, he's, he's saying something to this effect. He's challenging them to, uh, to continue to rely upon the righteous one, Jesus, and on his promises, and, and Jesus will give you life. You remember the Hebrews? They were, they, were, they were struggling with, should we walk away from Christianity? Should we walk away from the faith? Should we, should we stop practicing this and start practicing the Jewish system? And the writer of Hebrews quotes this passage, among other things, and says the righteous shall live by his faith. By trusting. By continuing to trust in the Lord. And so the righteous, those who trust in God, if they are to have life, they continue to trust in God. And that's exactly what, what God is saying to Habakkuk and through Habakkuk to the people of Israel. God will fulfill His promises, not just His promises about wiping out the Babylonians, but His promises about bringing the Messiah through the nation of Israel. His promises about Israel becoming a nation that where all nations will be blessed through them. God will fulfill it, even though last week he talked about how he's going to dismantle the nation of Israel. And see, Habakkuk's trying to figure this out, can't figure it out. How are you going to do this? And 
God says, hold it, wait for it. There's an appointed time. It will happen. It will happen. Be patient. But then he says something in verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who's never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And there again, he's describing the nation of Babylon, talking about their arrogance, speaking about their greed, speaking about the way they're gathering nations for themselves and they just never seem to be satisfied. He says, and while you are waiting, trusting in the promises, Habakkuk, this will be going on. The circumstances will not be so good. So think of the things that you are wrestling with, the injustices that have come your way. And you're waiting for God to respond. You're waiting for God to answer what only He can answer. To make right what only He can make right. Habakkuk, or God through Habakkuk, says to you, wait for it. The promises I've given you, they will come. They, they will not lie. They will surely come. They will certainly come, but you have to wait. For Habakkuk, that's 61 years. For Daniel, when he's waiting for the Messiah, the appointed time for the Messiah, that would be, that would be several hundred years. For, for Abraham, he, it was at the end of his life he had a child, but that child, uh, the, the nations, he never, he never saw a nation of like the sand of the seashore. He never saw that. He never saw that. God is saying to us, and he's saying to Habakkuk, wait, wait. Now God continues, verses 6 through 20, very graphically. He, he, he describes the end of the Chaldeans, the end of the Babylonians, and he never once mentions their name. And I think he doesn't mention their name because actually you could put every, every powerful nation, you could put people in this place you can you can look at this and go you know this is the end this is the reality for all the proud for all the arrogant he, he actually five times he'll use the word woe in the hebrew language that was a word that was used in the context of a funeral you might have seen uh in different cultures when there's a funeral there's there's a great carrying on they, they they're very expressive in their in their emotion and they'll scream out on the streets, Whoa! Whoa! They're actually expressing what they feel. I think we can learn from some of that. And so what they would do is they'd cry out, Whoa! And then they would end it with, the, they would mention the person who had died. And five times Habakkuk, almost like a funeral march, almost like a funeral dirge, goes, Whoa! To him! And he mentions five things about this nation and what he's saying is, they should prepare to die. Woe, verses 6 to 8. Woe to the plunderer. 
the Babylonians were plunderers. They came into a place, they took everything, they took it all, they wiped out stuff there was, so there was nothing left behind. They didn't want this nation to rise back up to, to defeat them at some point. They were plunderers. And God says to them, Will not your debtors suddenly arise? And those awake who will make you tremble, then you will, spoil, you will be spoiled for them. So what God says, as you've done to them, they're going to turn around and do to you. And he says it's going to happen suddenly. Daniel chapter 5. The prophet Daniel actually describes what happened to the nation of Babylon. King Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of a thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold of silver, gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, and that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them when they brought in the golden vessels that they had taken out of the temple in the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and, and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So you get the picture. This is a long, drawn-out party. They're drunk. And Belshazzar goes, go get the stuff that we got from the temple in Jerusalem and bring it here. This is some 60 years, 60 years later about. Bring them in. And we're going to drink from these things that are actually meant for the, the, the services of God. And as they're doing, they're praising the gods of gold, silver, and everything else. And it says immediately at that point, a finger shows up and starts writing on the wall. And Belshazzar, we're told, is this stricken. He's, he's scared to death. What in the world is going on? Suddenly he's sober and he's crying out for his magicians, his enchanters, to go, could you tell me what is written on the wall? And nobody could. And somebody remembers Daniel. And they bring Daniel in and Daniel says, yes, I can, I can do this. I can tell you what it reads. This is what Daniel says. Let your gifts be for yourself. And give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Remember how God was doing a work among them? How he was raising up the Chaldeans? Now later, Daniel says, guess what? It was God who raised up Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 19, and because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he, would, whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised, and whom he would, he humbled. This is, this is a Nebuchadnezzar. If he wanted to kill someone, he killed him. If he wanted him to be alive, he kept him alive. Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. We are told that Nebuchadnezzar, one day as he was looking out at, his, at his, uh, his kingdom, he goes, look what I have done. 
And it was in that moment God lowered him and he became like an animal. He became mad like an animal and he, he ran wild for seven years until God, in his grace, brought him back. And he came to his senses and he realized who put him in this place and he praised God. Daniel says to Belshazzar, he was spread grass like an ox and his body was wet with dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. My friends, Donald Trump is in the office of the President of the United States of America. Yes, the people of the U.S. voted for him, but God put him there. And that goes to say for our prime minister as well and our premier. And sometimes we go, we don't understand. That's what God says. He's in charge of everything. Then Daniel says to Belshazzar and you, his son Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. We're told in that chapter, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Suddenly, the plunderer was plundered. And God made this abundantly clear some 60 years earlier to a guy named Habakkuk, and says, this is what's going to happen. The second woe in, the, in, in that chapter is in verses 9 through 11, where he simply says, woe and woe to the empire builder in Habakkuk. Oh, the, the Babylonians were all about building an empire. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar, we have a, um, a, uh, something that was dug up where Nebuchadnezzar wrote in his purpose in strengthening the walls. He says he's doing this to make an everlasting name for his reign. He wanted, he wanted his reign to be everlasting. He, he, he wanted everybody to know forever who he was and his kingdom to last forever. But before he began his killing ways, God told Habakkuk that this empire builder his dynasty would be brought to ruins in verses 9 to 11. You see, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And then we get to verse 12. We get the third woe. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord, verse 13. The people's labor merely for fire and nothing weary themselves for nothing. He says, this is really a waste as you're trying to build this kingdom. Uh, you're wearying yourself for nothing. It, 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 it's completely a waste. The, they labor in vain. And then we have that second nugget. If you, if you go home today, the nugget in verse 4 and the nugget in verse 14 is worth the price of of today's sermon, I hope. We read this last week. What is that nugget? Verse 14. 
For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the third time in Scripture that we see this passage. We see it in Numbers chapter 14. We, we see it also in Isaiah chapter 11. And I think in both of those contexts, the authors are reflecting about the depravity of humanity and say, there is a time coming. There's a time coming when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. When the earth will be seen, we'll see the manifestation. We'll see, we'll see God in all of His glory. It'll be obvious. It will not be a place covered with violence, but it'll be a place covered with the glory of the Lord. I long for that day. Habakkuk did not see that. Daniel did not see that on that night. He saw the Babylonians destroyed, but he did not see this promise fulfilled. That's still coming. But it's coming because this vision, it will not lie. It seems slow. Wait for it. Then we get to the, the fourth woe in this funeral procession for the Babylonians. And in verses 15 through 17, woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. It's woe to the indulgent. It, as you saw in that story from Daniel 5, these were a drinking bunch, but they like to include others in their drinking. And, and part of their drinking was actually to to. to to shame those who got drunk among them. See, God is describing what they'll be like, what they are like, and, and quite frankly, their end. But God says in the mix of that, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And God is speaking of another cup, not the cup with wine in it, but a cup with God's wrath in it, God's judgment in it. And that's coming too. And you might take the drink of the wine just as Belshazzar recognized uh, the, the cup of God's wrath was coming that night. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Psalm 75, verse 7, we read these words, but you, God, you are to be feared who can stand before you? Oh, that's the wrong one. Next one. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed. And he pours out from it all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. And then the psalmist says, But I will declare it forever. I will sing the praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. You know, Habakkuk, understand that the world that Habakkuk was living in was not the place you wanted to grow up in. It was a world that was broken, and, and, and his nation was about to be dismantled. Everything he knew was going to be destroyed in his lifetime. Everything he placed his hopes on was going to be gone. 
And God is simply saying to him, guess what? The wicked will be punished. Wait for me. But in the meantime, trust me. Continue to follow me. Praise me. Even in the midst of the storm. Moms, he's talking to you. But each of us, he's talking to us. Trust me, he says. When I promise something, it will come. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to set up his throne on this earth. He's going to set up his throne in the new Jerusalem. Jesus is returning, and he's going to be in complete control. He is in control, but we will see his glory as it covers the earth. The waters cover the earth, so will his glory cover the earth. Wait for it. Habakkuk's been going, Lord, what's going on? How long? When will it be? And this is how God's answering him. Finally, God, last woe in the funeral procession. He actually attacks their idolatry. Woe to the idol worshipers. You go, okay, well, we, we don't do that here. That's good. He mocks their worship. He mocks their trust in idols. And he says they're speechless. They can't do anything. They, they're silent when you cry out to them, arise. Can idols teach us? No, they can't. Did you know in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, God calls covetousness idolatry? What's covetousness? Boy, I wish I had a beard like this man. But usually it breaks down, boy, I wish I had his house or his car or his wife or his husband or her husband, I guess. Isn't that what we're not content with what we have. And we look over our shoulder and look over our fence and go, I wish I had that. But the that that we wish we had, when we cry to it, does it when we say arise, does it arise? It, it doesn't do nothing. It's, it's, it's like the idols of the Old Testament. Useless. Speechless. No breath in them at all. Woe to the idolater. And then he lands on the last nugget that I, I hope you take home in verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The temple that Habakkuk knew of in Jerusalem if it hadn't been destroyed it would be destroyed here in a few years completely dismantled to the surprise of the Jews they never really believed that that would happen but Habakkuk God tells Habakkuk actually the Lord is in his holy temple the Lord is in the heavens on the throne in control of all things 
He sees everything. He's in charge of things. He raises up Nebuchadnezzar and he lowers his son. That's what he does. His promises will be fulfilled. When he said something, he will do it. So if you see a promise in the text, it's going to happen. But wait for it. There's an appointed time. Trust him. But but look what he says. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. It's almost like he says, Habakkuk, quit complaining. Trust me. Habakkuk, praise me. Be in awe of me. And I think he says that to us. When we've been wronged, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He will take care of it. Our Lord says, wait. I'm on the throne. Trust me. And isn't that what the righteous do? The righteous live. Yes, live even in the difficult seasons because they're living in the presence of God so they can walk through those difficulties, through those dark times. They have life in that context because they're trusting in the one. The righteous, they shall live by faith, by trusting, steadfast trust. But how are they righteous? The same way as they... They live, but they, they, they become righteous by trusting in Him. And so, my friends, um, on this Mother's Day, I don't have flowers to give you, but I have a message of incredible hope. Trust Him. Wait for Him. Understand who he is and that what he says he will do. And, and in that context, there's incredible hope. Incredible hope. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that 2,000 years ago you came to this earth, you gave your life, you died on the cross, just as you said you would on that appointed time as Daniel pointed to. And you bore the cup of cup of wrath that was meant for me and meant for us. You drank from it. You died in, on our, in our place. The injustices that we have done, the violence that we have done, the, 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 the contention and the strife that we have caused, you drank from that cup that we should be drinking from. And instead, Father... You've allowed us the privilege to simply put our faith in Jesus and His work and and to drink from another cup that would remind us of Your love and Your grace and Your mercy and to remind us that someday we will be with You and, 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 and would give us hope in the difficult days and in the, even in the good days. And so, Father, thank you.
Help us to people, be a people who steadfastly trust in your promises, trust in your work on the cross, trust in you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Every Sunday we gather around the table and we actually drink. We don't drink from a cup. There's only one of them, so we dip in. But the idea, God's, Christ took upon the wrath, the judgment that we should have had. And, and now we have the privilege to, to have a cup, drink from a cup, that expresses and shows his love. And so if you, there's been a time and place in your life where you've repented from your sins, where you've, you've said, you know what, I've stopped, I'm, I'm not going to follow my old ways and I want to follow Christ. I want to trust him. I want to put my trust in him. If that's true of you, you're welcome to join us as we stop and remember Christ's sacrifice on the cross some 2,000 years ago. Please stand.